And I had a look at the sermon that I was supposed to preach last week. And uh, last Sunday, when I went to put the finishing touches, God just downloaded a whole new sermon. And so I announced that I would preach that sermon that I was going to preach last week, this week. Saturday morning, as I go to have a look at the sermon again, God downloads another uh, four pages. And uh, so the sermon I was going to preach this morning, I'll preach next week again (laughs) to be continued. But this morning, continuing along the theme of the spirit of offense, I want to talk to you on the three essential loves of your life. The three essential loves of your life. The three essential loves of your life are absolutely, and I mean absolutely necessary for building a balanced successful, and healthy life. Without these three loves, you will never be whole and you'll never be completely satisfied. These three loves are so essential to your well-being as an individual that by sabotaging even one of these three loves, the enemy will cripple you for the rest of your life. That's how important each and every one of these three loves I'm going to talk about today, that's how important they are. That all the enemy has to do is uh, sabotage one of them, and he will cripple a person's life. If you take a three-legged stool and pull out one leg, it won't stand. Each leg becomes independently, absolutely essential for balance and stability. In, in, in a person's life if they're sitting on that stool. In fact, let me go on to say, because I've just made the statement that any one of these, if he sabotages even one of these three essential loves, he cripples a person for the rest of their life unless they meet Jesus Christ. In fact, it's Satan's methodology. <laughs> it's Satan's methodology. He has summoned all of his demons to an all-out war on these three essential uh, loves. And by attacking them, he brings bruises, the bruises of Satan. God prophesied to Eve in the garden. Once they they had fallen, he says, okay, this is what's going to happen. Satan and all of his demons are going to bruise the heel of all of your descendants. And ever since the fall, all of humanity has been wounded. All of humanity has been broken. All of humanity writhes in pain from failed relationship and rejection and the offenses that bring the failed relationship and the rejection. It's the methodology that the enemy has used to devastate all of humanity. So now I'm going to make a statement. I want to make this statement because it's very relevant. It'll play out in my message. So it'll sound like I'm sidetracking for a moment. I'm not. I'm laying foundation. For a moment, I'm going to talk to you about a thing called divine order. Divine order. God is not a God of disorder. 
He's a God of order. Therefore, everything God created, he created with a divine order. There is a divine order to everything in God's environment. Whenever we break God's divine order, we will have disorder. And whenever we have disorder, we will have confusion. And whenever we have confusion, the kingdom of darkness is at work. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind and I want you to understand this is a principle. When God created the heavens and the earth, it was an orderly process. And each subsequent thing that he created depended on the thing that he created beforehand. And the earth was orderly and the first thing Satan did was to disrupt divine order. You cannot have confusion in the midst of divine order. And so the strategy of the enemy was to disrupt the divine order so that he can bring destruction through disorder and confusion. When you understand those types of principles, and this is something that I go into in the very first lecture in year one, and chain of command and how important it is, when you understand these principles, you start to understand a lot about God, about the universe, and about life. Principles will always reveal more principles. When you start to understand the principles of God, you'll start to see more and more principles. And the more principles you understand, the more you will fathom what life is about and how it works. That's why I love the Word of God. It is the answer to everything. It is the Creator's handbook for you. And for me. Amen. Can I get an agreement? Because Satan wants his kingdom to be at work in your life, he will do everything he can to get you out of God's divine order so that he could bring you into his disorder. Not only, now I'm going to connect the two, three essential loves. Not only are there three essential loves that are absolutely necessary. I am not exaggerating. They are absolutely necessary for building a balanced, successful, and healthy life. Not only are there three essential loves that are absolutely necessary, but there is a divine order to those three loves. And if you don't have them in order you'll still be unbalanced. The first, the first absolute essential love is God's love. How much does God love you? I'm asking you, how much does God love you? Unconditionally, I like that, Angie. How much does God love you? Any other answers? Infinitely. This much, that's the motion he made on the cross, yeah? As much as he loves Jesus, good answer. They're all great answers and they're all right. But I want you to think about this here. Because God will never command you to do something that he hasn't done first. How many of you agree that that's a good principle of leadership? God will never command you to do something he hasn't done first. And God says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So I put to you that God who is not a hypocrite, loves you as much as he loves himself. 
God can never reject you. You can reject him. God can never reject you because he is faithful to who he is. He cannot reject himself. And he will always love you as much as he loves himself. Isn't that phenomenal? Look, an unhealthy, unbalanced person, if you tell me, oh, they love you, Pastor Rob, as much as they love themselves, that might scare me. (laughs) But when you get someone who is so perfectly balanced and complete as God, and you tell me he loves me as much as he loves himself, God will never do himself harm. Therefore, he can never do you harm. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Okay, so let's continue. How much does God love you? The reality is that God loves you as much as he loves himself. God can't love you more than himself because then he wouldn't have perfect love for himself. He can't love us more than himself because the moment he does, he doesn't love himself perfectly and he ceases to be perfect. But he loves you as much as he loves himself. He gave his life for your life. When God was determining what is humanity worth, what is the price that is equitable to me, because value is in the eye of the beholder, just like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And when God said, What are they worth to me? He could only come up with one answer, and that was myself. And so God paid the price of himself to redeem you and me. What an amazing truth. Absolutely amazing. God suited up in a body. David prophesies about the Messiah who was to come through his lineage And he says, a body you have prepared for me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God took on human nature to mirror for humanity a father-son relationship since the father-son relationship we had through the first Adam was a broken image. God came to set the record straight and to create the perfect mirror image of a father-son relationship so that through his redemptive sacrificial love, he can take us into the image of that perfect relationship. Isn't that awesome? Come on, give the Lord a shout. Put your hands together and praise him for what he has done. He gave his life for you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And nothing that was created was created without him. He was the light of the world and he became flesh and dwelt among us. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know what I love about this? This is the gospel of John. Then John also went and wrote three letters. And in the first letter that he wrote to the churches in chapter one, uh, sorry, in 1 John chapter three, verse 16. 
I just read to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. I want you to pair these two scriptures up. 1 John, chapter 3, verse 16. And I, I'll say 16a because I'm going to take the first half of that verse. This is what it says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 7, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for, uh, uh, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still broken, while we were still messed up, while we were a throwaway, while we were on the heap of rejection, rejected by other people, suffering like rejection, while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the reality, the reality is God loves us. That's not the issue. Now I'm getting to my point. The reality is God loves you. He cannot love you less than he loves himself. Well, he is unfaithful to the truth that he represents. The issue isn't that God loves you. That's a fact. The issue is with our perspective of that reality. God loves you. But what's your perspective? Paul had a healthy perspective of God's love. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39, this is what Paul said. This is what he was convinced about. His perspective of God's love caused him to write these words, and he said, I am persuaded that neither death or life or angels or principalities of hell, the mega powers or the regional powers, nor things that are present or things to come, neither height nor depth or anything that's created is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Now that's... That's Paul's perspective. God's perspective is he loves you. Paul's perspective was, there's no question, God loves me. Nothing can separate me from the love that God has for me through Jesus Christ. But the question is, what's your perspective of God's ability to love you? You see, we all know this scripture and we can quote this scripture, but let me ask you, the moment you fall flat on your face, are you equally as convinced in that moment that God loves you and neither height nor depth can separate you from the love of God? When you're not happy with yourself, when you're ashamed, when voices from your past and from your memories and from your emotions are talking to you, about some of the things that have been done to you or some of the things that you did. In those moments, can you declare that neither the past nor the present will separate you from the love of God? The reality is God loves you as much as he loves himself, but the issue is what is our perspective of God's love? 
You see, the, the point is that Satan cannot sabotage the reality of how much God loves you. He can't, he can't change it. He can't wreck it. He can't sabotage it. But he can sabotage your perspective of how much God loves you. If he can sabotage your perspective of how much God loves you, then he can get you to take offense at God, okay, and fill you with a false perception of rejection. Nothing can separate you from God's love. That's a given. It's said in blood. The enemy can't change that. So he's going to work on your perception. How do you see God seeing you? He did that in the Garden of Eden. And he does that in the garden of your thoughts and the garden of your life all the time. And he will speak condemnation to you to try to convince you that you are so horrible, you're such a failure, you're such a, 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 a useless, worthless individual. How could God love you? Your perspective. He will cause you to take offense at God, just like Adam and Eve took offense at God. They were convinced that God was keeping something from them. Deep down inside, as we start to analyze all of our issues, we will find that somewhere there are issues that come back to the root of a belief system that says God hasn't favored me like he's favored everyone else. He doesn't love me quite the same. I wouldn't be the way I am. Why did God make me like this here? And the enemy will always point a insulting, teasing finger at God and the very vomit he vomits on you, then he will get you either through religious belief systems or just through the rationale of your own emotions, he will get you to believe that that's how God feels about you. He's forever jockeying to drastically affect your perspective of how God loves you or whether God loves you or not. You see, I, I grew up in church. I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. In fact, uh, my father's father uh, in Italy, his parents were among the first to get born again uh, in Italy. It was a very Catholic nation. It was during the time of Mussolini. And my dad used to tell us stories. His dad died when he was about 11 years old, but he was a God-fearing man. And he accepted Jesus Christ. He heard the simple story of God's unconditional love. And he turned away from established religion and came into relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, his father uh, <clears throat> wrote the whole adult Sunday school system for the new church that was forming all throughout Italy. He died when my dad was 11. And uh, so my dad often tells us this story. In fact, he tells the story that when his father he had been sick because he had worked as a, uh, a, a, with the railroads and as a rescue worker. And he had, uh, prior to coming to know Christ, he had 
been subject to somewhat of an avalanche and it affected his heart, the weight and the pound. And so he always had a weak heart after that. But he was such a God-fearing man that he knew the day that he was going to go be with the Lord and he called all of his family and his friends. And he, as he's laying in bed, he, he called them and he said, come on, let's worship God. We're going to have a prayer meeting today. I'm going home. And uh, as they worshiped the Lord, then he asked one brother in particular to lead out in prayer. And as the brother said amen, my grandfather, who I've never met yet, and I will meet, closed his eyes and went to be home. Because that's home. Amen. Absolutely. But I grew up as a, a Christian in an Italian uh, environment in New York. Uh, corona, New York, has nothing to do with the coronavirus. Everyone say, thank God. <laughs> um, and uh, we had somewhat of a legalistic perspective of God. You see, as a kid, I heard it over and over again, God loves the sinner, God loves the sinner, God loves the sinner. But the irony of how that message was preached was that there was no question in our minds, God loves the sinner, and he'll pull him out of the gutter. But once you become a son, if you sin, you're worse than the sinner he ever saved. And so without ever rationalizing it in my mind, though it was never spoken in those words, it was such legalism that we lived in fear of God. If you would ask me, does God love sinners? Absolutely. But if a son makes a mistake... <laughs> And, and, and though we didn't speak it out, this was the subliminal, the underlying, the hidden belief system that we actually had accepted. And that, that forces a judgment on God, that God will love someone who is broken and he's in the gutter, but when you're one of his kids, God forbid, <laughs> no irony intended, God forbid you make a mistake, He's going to devastate you. And that is judging his character incorrectly. Are you hearing me? And so I grew up in this, yeah, and I was passionate for God. I loved God. And uh, things had happened. We, we had been in Australia. My dad was pastor, and we came back because dad had become ill after six years of uh, working in a mission field. And uh, we were attending another church, and things happened, and I got wounded. I got hurt. Uh, actually, the hurt even came from the senior pastor. That's okay. People will hurt us. Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come. That's why this message is so important, because it, it'll set you free. I became bitter uh, at what happened. Even my father, you know, I, I went to him at the end of this particular situation, uh, the bad part of it, and I said, Dad, what did I do wrong? And he just wept, and he said, Nothing. I said, so then why is this happening? He said, I don't understand. And I became embittered towards God because I felt like God rejected me. God wasn't doing it. I had become hard. I got to the point where instead of being this loving kid who was always telling everyone about Jesus, it had gotten to a point where I was fighting with my dad so much at home that I literally pushed him one time. And he looked at me 
And he said words not in hate, but in sadness. He said, you've become like an animal. He wasn't judging me. He wasn't admonishing me. He was just speaking the truth of my degeneration. And I knew it was true. I wasn't happy in myself. Sin won't ever make you happy. <laughs> um, I had heard that there was a, a preacher coming in a town and some of my cousins were going to these meetings and I, ironically, I was still a Sunday school teacher. I was still a youth leader. I was still the song leader. And I was carrying on all the motions while my heart was far from God. And because people from the church that I attended were going to this crusade and I just got invited by some of them, it would look bad <laughs> if I didn't go. But at the same token, because my perception of God was that he, he can love you as a sinner, but God forbid as a son you screw up. You're, you're messed up. You're done. Okay? It's almost as if we ascribe the judgment without analyzing it to God that he's schizophrenic. And God isn't schizo. If he can love you as a sinner before you're a son, he could love you when you're face down in the gutter as a son. Amen. But I had to learn this. And so I went to this meeting because I was so desperate, Mike. I, I was so unhappy and so broken. I went to this meeting. I, I knew that this preacher moved in the words of knowledge and things like that. And I had expected, I went fully knowing that this, it was a lady preacher that when she came on the stage, somewhere in the meeting, she's going to call me out and say, you are a dirty, rotten scoundrel living in sin, and God's telling you to repent. You see, that was my perspective of God from the framework of religion, okay? And despite that, I was so desperate to be back in relationship with God, I went. And I sat there, and uh, it was like somebody had unleashed a whole farm of worms in my gut. I mean, I, everything in me was wriggling around. And the song leader comes out, another lady, and she looked angry enough that she looked like she could have been God's servant. Remember, I had a very negative perspective of God. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, that's her. <laughs> Thank God that was only the song leader. Although at the time, when I realized that was only the song leader, I thought, oh my goodness, it's only going to get worse. And then this lady with a beautiful smile, she was radiant, comes out. And we continue, they continue to lead us in worship. And I got people from the church I attend all around me. So, you know, you got to put your arms up. You got to keep up the act, right? And yet inside my heart, I was so broken. And you know what happened? Come on, work with me. You know what happened? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I went back the second night. Now I'm a little bit more relaxed, but still uneasy. And in the middle of worship, I heard the audible voice of God. I'm 62 now. I was probably about 17, 18 at the time. All these years later. 
That experience still moves me. And I can still hear the audible voice of God. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation says he heard the sound of the voice of God and it was like the sound of many waters. It went through me. I didn't, it, I didn't hear it. It went through me. He spoke and it literally, it went through me. I, I don't know how to explain that. It just went through me and it repercussed as it went through me. And this is what he said. I don't have to tell you that you're in sin and that you've made mistakes. You already know that. What I want to tell you is that I love you. I had never heard that. I had never heard of a God who can love me even after he loved me once and cleaned me up and could love me in the midst of my stupidity, my foolishness, my sin, my rebellion, my hurt. You see, when the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah who was going to come, one of the things he says is, and he will be anointed with the spirit of wisdom and counsel and the spirit of understanding and strength. One of the things I've come to love about God, Patrice, is that God has understanding. And he saw the brokenness, he saw the wounds, he saw the circumstance, and he understands how we're wound, and he saw the history, and he saw all the things that made Rob Scarallo up every day leading up to those 18 years. And he saw how the recent circumstances culminated together and how it triggered things in me that were set up as traps from years ago. And he just looked at me and loved me. Because he understood me. Religion doesn't always present God like that. But that's exactly who he is. I can honestly, and, and I, I, I promise you before God, I'm not saying this as a preacher. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be hyper bold in my expressions. Without a question, that one experience, it totally broke me. And I just wept and wept and wept because I knew that I knew that I knew he didn't reject me. He loved me unconditionally. He loved me. And it so changed my picture of who God is that from that point on, even though I had been a preacher, a, a youth preacher, a young preacher, I used to fill in for the pastor on Friday nights. They had church. It was their second main service of the week. And he had a secular job, and he'd be running late. And here I was, just a 17, 18-year-old kid, and he'd call up, and I'd have 45 minutes notice. He says, you're going to have to preach tonight. This was the same guy who wounded me. I had been preaching in Australia prior to that. I had been very involved in the things of God. But all of a sudden, this one experience changed everything I understood about who God is, and it changed my message for the rest of my life. How can I preach a different God when I know the one I met? I met him. I had an amazing experience. And so the question isn't, does God love you? Because that's a reality that's unchangeable. 
The enemy cannot sabotage God's love. Neither height nor death nor principality or powers, not even Satan himself, can separate you from the love that God has for you through Jesus Christ. He can't sabotage, he can't sabotage that, so he's going to work in your head and he's going to work in your emotions. He might work through the church. He might work through other people. And the enemy will always try to present an image that God doesn't love you. God isn't happy with you. You haven't measured it up you're not good enough I got news for you he accepted me when I was the scum of the earth I'm a little bit better than that so he must accept me even more and every day I'm better and better but here's the beauty the moment he accepted me he said you are as I am hallelujah praise God I'm not growing to be accepted. I'm growing because I am accepted. Hallelujah. I'm changing on the outside and changing on the inside, but what hasn't changed is that God loved me equally as much when I was at ground zero. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Come on, give God a praise offering. I have so much to, that God downloaded this morning and I always have trouble finishing and I've barely started. Listen, how much do you love God? That's the next question. How much do you love God? The enemy knows that if he can sabotage your perspective of how much God loves you, he can sabotage how much you love God. Your love for God will grow in direct proportion to your perception of his love for you. I'll prove it from scripture. John chapter 4 verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. We love him in response to how much we believe he loves us. We love him because he first loved us. I'm going to share another story with you. And you know what? I might not get past point one this morning. I'm going to share another story with you. Because everything about God is, is, is redemption. And he's not just redeeming us so that, okay, I got them signed in the book of life. Yay. The big finale, no. The big finale is the constant day-to-day -day journey of relationship that he wants to have with us. And so I went through this experience when I was 17, 18, major experience. It changed everything I knew about God. It changed everything I preached about God. <laughs> I used to be a young, heavy-handed, legalistic youth preacher. Until God showed me how much he loved me, even in the middle of my self-righteousness and my arrogance, okay? But here I am now, about 21, 22, back in Australia. My parents had moved up to Queensland to pioneer another Italian church from the ground up. And I had stayed back in Adelaide, South Australia, I was living with my oldest brother who was married at the time 
and, uh, well, who was married, he's still married, same woman, who was married, and I was training in an Australian church under a friend of my dad, a pastor named Pastor Peter Vaca, and um, I love this man uh, for giving me opportunity and giving me space in his church to grow and to develop. Did Bible school in his church, but anyway, the point is that uh, here I was, a youth pastor in training, and one day I'm stopped at the lights, and, um, well, actually, just before this moment when I was stopped at the light, for a couple of weeks, whenever I thought of my dad, not my dad and my mom, I was closer to my mom, but whenever I thought of my dad, I'd break down and start crying. It was very embarrassing because it didn't matter where I was. And people didn't know what was going on in my head. And all of a sudden, here's this, you know, 21, 22-year-old, and he breaks down crying. I mean, nobody wants to be a sissy. If you, you know, as a guy, you don't want to be a sissy. You got it together. You're strong. You're cool. You're macho. Otherwise, the girls won't look at you, right? <laughs> That's how we think when we're young. And, and I'd break down, and I'd start crying specifically about my dad and only about my dad. I didn't feel anger, I didn't feel hate, I didn't feel shame, I just wept. And Colleen, I didn't know why I would weep, so I made an appointment with the senior pastor, and I said, Pastor Peter, I, I don't understand what's going on, this has been going on for a good month now, um, I don't feel like I'm missing my dad, but whenever I think of him, I break down and I start crying. And he said, Ramba, I don't know what to tell you, I don't have any answers except this, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe that God will reveal to you what's going on. And so one day during the work day, <laughs> I'm at a traffic light, and uh, as I'm sitting at that light so clearly, I heard God. It wasn't the same type of audible voice. This time it was in here. I heard him in here. The other was he spoke out there. I heard an audible voice and it went through me. Now I'm sitting at a light and thoughts came to me that were not my own. I know they weren't my own because I started arguing with them. And God said to me, I'm going to heal your relationship with your dad. And when I do, your relationship with me will take off to another level. Now you've got to understand, I had already had this life-transforming experience with God. And I can honestly say to this day, over 40 years later, well over 40 years later, it has totally changed my message and my relationship. So here I am, 21, 22, only maybe four years later, and God's saying, I'm going to heal your relationship with your dad. And when I do, your relationship with me is going to go to a whole nother level. And I said to God, I don't have a problem with my dad. There's no relationship issue. We didn't have a fight. There's no argument. We're good. Everything's good. When God makes a point, he's always right. And so he never has to answer back. You can argue all day. He won't say anything. He's right. He made his case. He's right. So anyway, mom and dad would do to come down on vacation uh, in, a, in about you know, two, three weeks, something like that. And I had resolved 
that I was going to pray about this and ask God what's going on. And so I did. I started to pray, and the Holy Spirit started opening, started opening up my memories. You see, my dad lost his dad when he was 11. And so he didn't have a lot of father-son example. On top of that, mom met dad in Italy and then came back to America. She was in Italy with her dad, very strict in those days. Uh, and uh, after about eight months or 12 months of corresponding, I actually have those letters back and forth and can follow letter by letter what she wrote, what he wrote. What, <laughs> what a treasure. What a treasure. I remember my father actually, <laughs> God bless him, he wrote to my mother, you know, this is back in the, the early 50s, he said, send me a picture of you in a bathing suit. And she wrote back and says, how dare you? <laughs> you start to learn things about your parents you never knew. He was a typical male. He, you know, he was normal. He was normal. But anyway, uh, he wanted to... <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I say that to say, obviously, she always dressed very modestly. She left no room for the imagination. And so his imagination was wondering. Okay. So anyway, uh, the point is, now that totally threw me. <laughs> the, the point is that uh, they were coming down. And uh, I'm praying, I'm saying, God, show me. And God started to reveal things. My dad lost his dad when he was 11 years old, and he had to become the breadwinner for the family. And uh, plus, because that mom met him in Italy when she was there with her dad, they came back, they wrote, and then with her father, she went to Italy and married him in the eyes of the law but they could not come together until they got married back in the church in Corona. So they were married legally, but never had... Yeah, I wasn't going to say it, but since you said it, they never consummated uh, their wedding because they're not married in the church. I told you it was a little bit legalistic, right? So we often tease, teased my dad about that, but anyway... Um, he didn't speak English. It wasn't his native tongue. And so my father never ever spoke to us unless he was angry and he was yelling at us. And even then, we didn't know what he was saying. We just knew he was angry. Okay? I remember one time <laughs> my father's yelling at me and I'm about six, seven. I was nine when we first went to Australia, so I'm six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. And he's yelling at me, and I'm just looking at him like a deer in the headlights, like, what? And he's yelling louder and louder because I'm not getting it. And finally, it made such an impression, I remember the words. I actually remember the words. I was only six or seven. This is a language I don't know. So how do you recognize words, let alone remember the words? But it made such a stamp on my psyche, on my soul. I remembered the words and I learned years later what it meant. Uh, you know, I learned the language later, but I learned also by the action my mother took. He yells out, he goes, Marie, be a mood while you. 
And here comes my mother with a towel. All he wanted was a towel. And I had no idea what he was saying. And so there wasn't a lot of communication because he was very self-conscious of his inability to speak English. And he was very, very involved in the ministry. He loved us, always came home. There was always food on the table. We always had clothes. Uh, we followed him to Australia because God called him and mom to Australia. We left all of our cousins, our grandma, our grandpa. We left knowing we might not see them again. Uh, but we did this because mom and dad had the call of God on their lives. I'll tell you something. For all the things that maybe weren't perfect, I'll tell you something. My passion for God comes from the fact that in their genuineness for the Lord, somewhere back here, I came to a conclusion of this God is so wonderful that my parents would leave everything we knew and take their family across the seas, then he must be worth loving. And my passion comes from the example they set. And now my passion is enhanced by having met him personally. Okay. And um, <clears throat> so anyway, dad and mom come down. And uh, I realized I had no memories of my dad ever picking me up. Uh, one or two. That was it. Hardly ever playing with me. And no memories of him ever saying, I loved you. And God showed me this in prayer. And I started weeping. I know he loves me. We're good. I always had a bond with mom. I didn't have a bond with dad. We're good. I know we're good. And so when dad came down, I said, dad, I need to see you. Would you come into my bedroom? And my mom says, well, can I join too? I wanted to say no, but I didn't want to get in trouble. So I said, sure. And there we were, face to face, eye to eye, and I said, you know, Dad, I know you love me. I know it here. You've always come home. You've always provided for us. There was always food. But this and this has been happening, and I went to Pastor Peter Vacker, and he said he was going to pray for me, and God said he was going to heal my relationship with you, and I thought, there's nothing wrong. We have a great relationship. I said, and as I started to pray, I started to realize, I said, Dad, I've never heard you say the words, I love you. And he became a big mush. Now you know where I get it from. He became a big mush. His nose went bright red. Whenever my dad cried, uh, his nose would go bright red. His eyes would swell up. And in his broken English, he said, Robbie. He put his arms around me. He said, I love you. I love you. He could barely get the words out. Because he was crying so much. All of a sudden, something happened. The bond that I had with my mother, while it didn't go away, became surpassed by a bond I instantly felt with my father. When they left and went home, for the next 18 months, every time I was in a difficult situation, was dealing with an issue in my life, I'd cry out to God, and I'd see my father's face with his red nose and his teary eyes, and he's crying. And I'd push it out, push it out, and keep coming back. And I'm talking to God, and my father's face would show up. And I'm talking to God, and my father's face would show up. 
And uh, I started rebuking it in Jesus' name. Devil, you get out of here. That's idolatry. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And then God said, no. The image of your earthly father has always in the past impeded your relationship with me. And I want you to see that face of him weeping over you. Because then you'll understand how I weep over you. Wow, I can honestly say my relationship with God, which at that point I thought was pretty phenomenal, it went to a whole nother level. I didn't think it was possible. It went to a whole nother level, you see. Three most important loves, essential loves of your life. And the first is God's love for you. There's no way in the world I'm going to get to point two and point three. There's no way. But I want you to understand there is a divine order. And it's always first about God's love for you and your love for God. And you can only love him in direct proportion to how much you really understand and believe that he loves you. The root of rejection will always come back to your interpretation of how you see God. And God wants to obliterate every issue of rejection. And whether it's a father image that went bad in your life, maybe the father who is supposed to love you and protect you is the father that molested you sexually or abused you emotionally or beat you physically. Maybe it wasn't a father. Maybe it was a mother. Maybe it was an aunt. Maybe it was an uncle. Maybe it was someone else, but it was that authority figure, the adult who was supposed to protect you. Maybe it was a pastor who emotionally wounded you. A church that, through its legalistic systems, set up things that were unreasonable. Whatever it was, the enemy is always looking to use human agents to bring offense. He uses wounded people to wound of which we are among them. Amen? Every one of us have been broken, and broken people break people. Every one of us have been broken, and the enemy uses wounded, broken people to wound us and to break us, and then he points the finger at God, and he'll say, but if God loved you, that wouldn't have happened. Why? Because he could cripple you for the rest of your life if he could damage that father image. And if he has to use your biological father, he will. If it's your father who left home and uh, deserted the family or the father you never got to know because you were born out of wedlock, whatever the issue might be, he establishes these things in life because he has come to wreck humanity. God prophesied it in the garden. He told Eve, because of this great fall, the enemy and all of his demons will put their venomous fangs in the heels of your descendants until the promised seed comes and crushes his head. For freedom, Jesus Christ has set you free. Freedom is a big deal to God. When you read that in Galatians chapter 5, freedom is a big issue to God. He wants you to be free. He wants you to know freedom. He wants you to be delivered. He wants you to be healed. 
He wants to close up the wounds so the strong man can't stay there anymore. He wants to heal you so that you could reflect the father image that he has and break the curse and break the cycle and start a whole new generation of what a dad's supposed to be. Can I get an amen? And, and this goes for women, male or female. I'm not just preaching to men, please, not at all. God wants to live in your imagination as big as he is and as good as he is in the heavens. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Praise God. Over the next three weeks, Pastor Jan, over the next uh, three weeks as I continue this, um, I want you guys to be prepared to come and pray for people. And as I make an altar call for prayer, I want you to space yourselves out, come as close to the altar as possible. I want the pastors to come from behind and pray from behind. Want to respect people's concerns, want to respect people's space, want to respect even the suggestions of the law of the land. We can rebel, we can argue, we can say that's not right, they're trying to stop us from having church. Hello, we're here. Hello? Are you hearing me? There's a divine order. And until they say, I can't say Jesus, there's no fight. Until they say, I can't love Jesus, there's no fight. They might, I understand, eventually it's going to come. I don't have to bring the fight on. Okay? And the enemy will try to set a trap so that we react and take offense even to the government and get involved in a fight that is very premature. Are you all hearing me? Amen. So in a moment, if I could have the worship team, and if anyone on the worship team wants ministry, that's okay. You don't have to go up, uh, you know, or... Or, or when the lines are diminishing, you could come down and get ministry. But over the next three weeks, this is how we're going to pray for people. I want you to come and stand as close to the altar and space yourselves six feet apart. And the pastors will come from behind and pray so that they're not breathing on you. Does that make sense? I'm not afraid of coronavirus. Please understand the position I'm taking. Psalm 91. A thousand will fall at my right hand and 10,000 at my left. It ain't going to happen to me. That doesn't give me the license to walk out in the middle of the traffic while the lights are green and say, God's got me, God's got me, while a semi-trailer plows me down. Okay? Even Jesus said, don't be presumptuous and tempt God in the process. Amen. Absolutely. I want you to stand with me, and if the worship team can come, that would be great. <clears throat> I get into these scenarios when the Spirit of God comes over me, even what I preach, forget today, even most times what I preach is just a fraction of what he opened up. And uh, I often think, God, you know, 
Why do you give me so much when I can only preach so little at a time? And uh, the whole time I'm writing this message, I'm thinking, how am I going to get this all done? But you know, God deals with our healing layer by layer. He deals with the wound layer by layer. And whether today is as significant to you as it is to someone else isn't the issue. Stay tuned. You might be at a layer that, that, that's already been healed. The next layer is coming. But you know, this isn't just about fathers and sons or fathers and daughters. It's also about mothers and daughters. That damaged relationship is as devastating to your emotions and will still affect your perception of God. And this is why in Malachi, the last 400 years before Jesus comes, after Malachi spoke, there was 400 years of silence. Remember I said to you, God makes a statement, he's always right, and then he goes quiet. You could argue all you want. He won't say another thing. And in Malachi, that was the last word of the Lord for 400 years until Jesus came. And in chapter 4, he makes it very clear. He says, the day of my wrath is coming. I'm going to burn up the earth and all those that are rebellious. But before the day of my wrath, church, the rapture is, he's, he's coming back to take the bride to a wedding. Because God will never allow the bride of his son to be subject to his wrath. Hello? I mean, please, if God's a God of order, he's logical. It makes sense. People get so religious, their theology becomes illogical. It's the first evidence of demonic confusion. Absolutely. God always makes sense. In fact, when you see him, nothing will ever make more sense than the sight of him and the presence. When you see him, you, you just know. You just know truth is there and you're full of truth. Amen. But he says in Malachi 4, this is going to be his last statement for 400 years. He says, I will return. In fact, Malachi talks a lot about the return of the Lord. And he says, I will return and I'll scorch the earth and judge the unrepentant. But before I do, I'm going to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents. Everything's about relationship. You can't hate your brother. You can't hate your mother. You can't hold unforgiveness towards your father or anybody else and say, I love God. The rela relationship, life is a triangle of relationships. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to run ahead of myself. So whether it's your mother deserted you, your mother abused you, you could never feel validated in your mother's eyes, or it's your father, your brother, your uncle, whatever it is. Bottom line, it's not just a father image that's superimposed on Father God. It's any authority figure is also superimposed on God. Because he's the ultimate authority, 
If the authority that wounded you was your mom, if the authority that you perceive you were rejected from is your older sister or your aunt or your uncle, it will still affect, it will still be a shadow on the image of God because he's the ultimate authority. The enemy also knows how we're wired. And so he gets in there in between the layers of life to set us up with traps and wounds and hurts. All I know is God had Donna stand on this platform and shout freedom. And every one of us did it and she had already written all these verses about freedom. And then Pastor Tom the next day speaks about, yeah, God's telling me that it's for freedom that Jesus Christ has come to set us free. Freedom is a big deal to God. Your freedom is a big deal to your daddy. Your freedom is a big deal to your daddy. What's the big deal about freedom? <laughs> it's the quality of life you're going to experience. And that's a big deal to God. Jesus read what the prophet Isaiah said about him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. To set them free. To set them free. You know, salvation isn't about trying to escape the anger of God so that, okay, I'm in the book, I made it. Yeah. No, salvation is about escaping the angry clutch of demons. Not the angry face of God. I'm not saved so I can escape his wrath, I'm saved so I can escape the tyranny of the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a clap. Come on. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, I want you to walk down the front together with others who want prayer. And please just line up as close to the steps in the altar. I want the pastors to just come down the front and stand by the chairs and when they're there pray from them pray for them from behind we will do everything orderly and uh, uh, praise God I believe that healing is taking place rejection is very sinister it's ugly it hides well and God wants to unhide it and destroy it Amen. How many of you, over the last six, seven weeks, the Word of God has been setting you free or revealing things and healing you? Can I see your hands? I've had so many comments. I take no credit. I just thank God that what the enemy meant for my own destruction, God not only turned around for good in my life, but He's using it as an arm of healing and deliverance. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, Pastor Steve, you lead us in worship. If you have to leave, you can leave if you're watching uh, and you've never asked Jesus in your heart, pray with me right now if you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Dear God, I accept you. I believe you accept me. I'm sorry I thought you were angry with me. 
Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Forgive me. Love me. And take me into the fullness of relationship with God the Father. I thank you, God, that you are loving me right now and accepting me right now. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I receive you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're not related, just try to separate six feet apart. We'll keep that distance. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Lead us in worship. Come on, church. Let's give God the glory and the praise. Come Oh, we had the victory. We had the victory.
Jesus, Jesus. 
Pastor Carlos, how about we give them a break, just put some worship music on. If anyone on the platform wants to come down and receive ministry, they can. Uh, those of you who feel you need to leave, that's, that's quite all right. If you want to stay in and just enjoy the presence or intercede, that's awesome too. Amen. There's power in the word of the Lord. Amen. God decreed freedom. And we continue to speak that. I just thank God for what's been happening in people's lives. Hallelujah. He's healing wounds and setting captives free. It's a good thing. It's an awesome thing. Amen. God is good. God is good. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Anyone on the platform who wants ministry, just line up. Amen. Don't be afraid. Fear is what will keep you from your victory. Fear is what will keep you from your healing and your deliverance. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Go on, Pastor Jan, join them. Thank you, God.